This morning's reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and it can be found if you're looking at the Church Bibles on page 1187. So I'm reading chapter 4 and starting at the ninth verse. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, very much. Let's pray together now. Father, we ask that you would... Uh, Please speak to us through your word, the Bible, this morning, for Jesus' sake. Amen. How do people know that we are Jesus' disciples, do you think? Uh, Is it that we uh, sing afterwards um, in the car park most weeks? Uh, Is it because maybe they can hear us singing during the service, especially if it's a really warm day and we've got the doors open? Um, Is it because we've got great live stream feeds on YouTube? Is it because, well, we've got some lovely new windows appearing and we've got new lights in the chancel and these ones, the spots are brighter and so on? Um, Is it because we've got good sound evangelical doctrine and we have Nick McQuaver coming every Thursday evening, so therefore people must know uh, that we are Jesus' disciples? Well, no, it's not not any of those, is it? Uh, Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know. As in, everyone will know if we love each other. And the very early church did this uh, in the third century. A guy called Tertullian uh, once reported that the Romans would say about Christians, see how they love one another. Everyone loving everyone. That's what it's about. So uh, uh, everyone is both a giver of love to others and also a receiver of love from others. It's a real, true one-anothering. And uh, as that kind of culture grows and develops in a church here, anywhere, then people around about, people who we have contact with and so on, will know that we're Jesus' disciples if we love one another. Now, Jesus' words there came from John's Gospel, chapter 13 and verse 35. Of course, that's not the passage for this morning. But this morning's passage is an illustration and an, and an expansion, if you like, of what Jesus was saying there. We've got just four verses this morning. And uh, uh, they are, include a great example of how a group of young believers are doing what Jesus said. How they are loving one another. They're a great example for us. And uh, there's also a particular slant, which may help us in one specific area. So one says this morning, it's just very simply this, uh, love others, not yourself. Love others 
and not yourself. Uh, and there are two uh, main points. The first one is very simply this, just love each other. Love each other, and that's in verses 9 and 10 here. Um, uh, these Christians in Thessalonica, they're, they're pretty young Christians. There probably aren't very many of them. We've said time and again, haven't we, over the last few weeks, that uh, they're a, a small, persecuted, most likely, minority. And it says at the end of verse 9 there, uh, you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And then the beginning of verse 10, and in fact you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Macedonia is the kind of, like the county, if you like, at the top end of the Aegean. You've got Thessalonica there, and then it's the, the hinterland, if you like, the area just uh, beyond it as you go inland. I suppose probably if you were writing to Brighton Hove, um, then verse 10, he'd say, and in fact you do love all God's family throughout Sussex. And uh, uh, they do love each other. In fact, they love each other like, like brothers and sisters. They do love the Christians from other churches as well. I mean, that can be a bit harder, can't it? But it's interesting, he's talking here not just loving each other within their own one little church in Thessalonica. They're talking about loving other Christians from other places across Sussex or beyond that as well. Um, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we've got a, the first face-to-face meeting of the Sussex Gospel Partnership Ministers. It's going to be in here. We'll have 70 or 80 uh, people here, I imagine. Uh, we'll be uh, as full as we can be. Uh, and there'll be our first face-to-face meeting for 15 months or so. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it because it is actually a tremendous opportunity to get together. Uh, and there is a great fellowship then when we meet together. It's, not, it's just not the same as being on Zoom. Uh, it's great to be able to get together in person. And uh, 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 so it is actually loving one another within our church. But also this passage is talking about loving other Christians from other places. Which sometimes can be a bit of a challenge, can't it? Perhaps especially if we don't quite agree on things. But he is talking here about loving Christians from other places as well. One of the privileges of being the vicar here is I have the delight of going to see mission partners wherever they happen to be. Um, and I can, I can say genuinely that when we, uh, when, when I, I or if Anna comes as well and we, we meet these folks from other places in the world, uh, and you see these Christians who you've never seen before, you'll probably never see again in terms of the churches we've visited. Uh, there is a real uh, shared love and joy at seeing one another and seeing what God is doing in different parts of the world. Uh, it's probably even more so when, for instance, Nelson eventually arrives at the airport. He's always late. That's <laughs> one of those things. And uh, when he gets there, it is just a sheer delight to see the man and to see Marcia and the children and so on as well. For instance, if, we, if we're going to Brazil. Um, it is there. It is something that God is working amongst us. And the word for love there is Philadelphia. Exactly the same word as the, uh, the place on the uh, um, eastern seaboard of the United States. Um, Philadelphia in secular Greek means love for your blood relatives. Love for your mum and your dad, love for your children, love for your brothers and sisters and so on. And so he's saying here, we've got to love other Christians as you would your own family, as you would your own brother and sister, your own mum and dad. That's the standard. So how are we doing? And what could we maybe do a little bit differently? Um, it's, uh, it's interesting, if you do any American history, you'll have, uh, uh, have heard of the, um, 
the competition, if you like, for, for, for presidency between Abraham Lincoln and Edwin Stanton. And Edwin Stanton was Lincoln's arch-rival and became really an arch-enemy. Uh, it wasn't reciprocated on Lincoln's side, but Stanton really didn't like Lincoln at all. And he would do anything to degrade him in the public eye. And, and Lincoln was elected president, and he made Stanton, his arch-rival, his arch-enemy, minister for war. And there was a civil war going on at the time. So that's a very significant role. And he chose Stanton knowing full well all he'd said and all he'd done and all he'd attempted to do, but because he was simply the best man for the job. Well, Lincoln uh, was later assassinated. And many people uh, spoke laudable words about him, but Stanton's were probably the most memorable. He now belongs to the ages. And he referred to Lincoln as one of the greatest men who'd ever lived. And uh, Abraham Lincoln's love transformed Edwin Stanton from an enemy to a friend. Well, we've got to love one another. We, we'll love all of God's family. And uh, there are a couple of sub-points which uh, I hope will help us to understand this a bit more. It's, um, I think innate is the wrong word, but it's uh, uh, innate for Christians. Um, and it's just, it's just this, at the end of verse 9, you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Now, taught by God through things, sermons like this, but also taught by God, and most of the, most of the guys who write, have written about this saying, it's taught by God actually by his spirit in our lives. So it is an innate thing. It is just a, a thing which bubbles up and is, uh, and is there uh, as we see other Christians. I was just sitting down here before the surface started this morning, just listening to us talking and thinking, Lord, that's wonderful. There's a bunch of people who love each other, talking to each other. Um, I, I think technically we're not really supposed to do that. Could it be outside already, haven't we? But it was, uh, but it's lovely to hear. It's, re- it's very, very encouraging to hear people who love each other talking to each other. And, uh, um, and there are all sorts of opportunities, of course, uh, to do that. Um, and can I just say, I keep on saying this, but if you haven't made it back to church, there's nothing quite like being with the people you love. Actually being here, if you possibly can, take the opportunity. And uh, I think we've pretty much got a church full this morning in terms of the distancing and so on. Uh, And isn't that encouraging to be here? And did you notice the the one another in verse 9? Now about your love for one another. That means we all give and we all receive. Now there are some times, aren't there, in life when there will be times when we will receive more than we will forgive more than we will give. But actually, those times should be passing times. Maybe in a time of bereavement or something, you will receive love from others perhaps more than you're able to give. Of course, that's, that's how things happen, isn't it? But if it's all the time, I would say, look, come on guys, you've got to have a think about this. We need to be people who love as well as receive love. So uh, we love each other. It's, it's innate for Christians. It's what we do. It's almost as if we can't help ourselves. We've been taught by God, both through his word and by his spirit in our lives. But the other thing here is we see we do it more and more. More and more. So have a look at the end of verse 10. Um, or, or the whole of verse 10. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, you're doing really well. But we urge you to do so more and more. More and more. 
And uh, I will say the same. There are so many examples here of people loving each other. And it's wonderful to behold, to hear about, to see, to be part of. Um, we can also do so more and more, can't we? Just as, as Paul is encouraging uh, the churches here. So we want to uh, look out for opportunities to do more and more. So when I have a think and a pray uh, about uh, about this little passage here, how could we love other Christians here? Maybe in other places. How could we do that more and more? How could we love, say, our mission partners more and more? One little thing that maybe we might be able to do that. Pretty good at that. But I'm sure there's a lot more that we could do as well. And what about... Our friends here, what about our friends online who, who uh, maybe for very good reasons aren't here? You know, the number's going up and there is concerns and so on. Um, or how could you love the person in front of you today, during this week? Maybe a hello, maybe uh, remembering their name, maybe uh, you're going to a little or something and you decide that you're going to uh, knock on the next door neighbours. Uh, or just phone up a friend of someone who's here who's having a hard time and say, or maybe you're just going on holiday, we can't actually get away, and you decide you're going to bring back uh, some friends here. Or maybe your small group, you're going to bring back, I don't know, some fudge or somewhere from wherever you're going, or perhaps you're, uh, you're going to a place that makes really nice cheese and you bring some back or whatever. It'd be just little things, but just to say, actually, we love people. We love people, and we want to show and express that love. Hundreds, thousands of possible things we could do. And the thing is, we want to do it more and more. The thing is, we want to be praying, don't we, that actually, Lord, please will you help me uh, to do whatever it is to love people in our small group or the people who are sitting in the same row as me or the row in front or across the aisle. Please can you help me to do that more and more? Please, Lord, would you help me to do that more next year, 2022, than I've been able to do this year? What could I do new for that? What would you do new, differently, better, say this coming week, uh, than you've been able to do over this last week? And of course, in a pandemic, the ways in which we can express love, we can do it and so on, they, 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 they do kind of, they vary, don't they? Um, we are able to get out at the moment. Who knows what the restrictions are going to be doing in a few weeks' time? Uh, who knows what's going to be happening in the autumn? And so we need to constantly have a think about how we can express our love for one another in appropriate ways within the restrictions, the guidelines that we're given. But still to do so more and more, week by week, month by month, year by year, and so on. So uh, um, wouldn't it be great if people... In our area, if, if our reputation was just simply, you said, Bishop Huntington Church, and wouldn't it be great if uh, uh, folks around about said, yeah, they really love one another there, don't they? Wouldn't that be a good thing? So love each other. It's kind of innate for Christians. It's inbuilt. It's, uh, uh, we want to do it more and more. And then the second thing here, and we've only got two big points, is this. Live unselfishly. And that's verses 11 and 12, just over the page in our church Bibles. Um, he says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now that doesn't mean being shh. Okay, uh, I'll explain it a little bit more in a sec. Um, you should mind your own business. And work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and you won't be dependent on anyone. 
Now, um, you may have thought that when you read those two verses, it's not really saying live unselfishly. But I think it probably is. In fact, I'm pretty much convinced, I am convinced it is talking about being unselfish. Um, verse 11, first of all, make it your ambition, or, or the um, another version, the English standard version has, make it your aspiration to live a quiet life. Now that's not... Putting on your slippers, having a cup of tea, never talking, just being very quiet. Um, That's not what it's talking about, no. It's not saying that. It is not intruding into the lives of others. That's what he's saying. It's not being a burden to other people. Um, uh, Now, we're not quite sure what was going on in the church in Thessalonica. Um, But probably it's something like this. There were some people who were so convinced that Jesus was about to return. Wait for next week's sermon about that. Um, But there were some people who were so convinced that Jesus was about to return. They said, well, there's no need to work, is there? He'll be here by Sunday week. So therefore, um, I don't need to work. And so far I've resigned and I've sold off all the uh, equipment that I need and so on because uh, I don't need that anymore. And, uh, And then, of course, Jesus hadn't come back. And it seemed there were some, probably some quite wealthy people. Uh, Acts 17.3 talks about prominent women. And uh, it seems that there were probably some folks who had said, well, Jesus will be back soon, haven't quite returned yet. And then they therefore uh, uh, said to the wealthier folks in the church, would it be all right if you kind of looked after me? We're having a bit of struggle, but I'm sure Jesus will be back next Sunday, so maybe if you could lend me a tenner for this week. Well, not lend me, because you won't need it in heaven, will you? And uh, And they'd kind of given themselves over and were sponging off other people basically it's something like that we don't know the exact reason but it has a lot to do with jesus return and it has a lot to do with not being prepared to work and it's probably the two of those things are put together and that's unhealthy living a life where there is no concern for others, where there is no, con- no output, if you like, is just really unhealthy. There are two seas in Palestine. There's the Sea of Galilee and there's the Dead Sea. Now, on the one hand, up north, you're joined by the Jordan, aren't they? Up north, you've got the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you've been there. And the Sea of Galilee, as we know in Jesus' day and still today, is a place where, where there are, it's alive. There are, you can go and fish on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, there, are, there are communities around it and so on. It is a living place, the Sea of Galilee. The River Jordan comes in, the streams come down from the side, the River Jordan flows out heading south. It's a living place. The Dead Sea, as its name suggests, is dead. So what happens is the River Jordan flows down to the Dead Sea, and maybe there are one or two streams and so on coming in from the sides as well, but, uh, but there is no output from the Sea of Galilee. So the water comes in, uh, uh, it evaporates with the, with the heat and so on, and the toxicity, if that's a word, it's very toxic, of the lake just grows and grows. The salts and uh, uh, levels and so on just grows. If you've been to the Dead Sea, I haven't, but apparently you can sit in it and read the newspaper because it's very, very buoyant. But it's dead. And why is it dead? Because there's no output, there's no throughput. It's just receiving water, but it's not actually shifting that water on. No input, lots of input, no output, dead. And similarly, if your life is all input and no output, that's a problem, isn't it? 
And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he says, look, make your ambition, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That is a life where you're not dependent on others. That is a life where there's output as well as input. And so he says, underneath this, he says, oh, look, we've got two things at the same time. How exciting. Oh, there we are. Anyway, he says, keep on working, and uh, we're doing it for the reputation of the church. So keep on working. Now, obviously, some folks can't work, long-term illness, disability, and so on. Some are retired. But I want to say, you know, if you're retired, you, we still work. Christians never retire actually <laughs> clergy certainly never retire but actually christians don't really retire and uh, we will still carry on working serving the lord jesus uh, in our retirement we might not get paid for it but uh, that's uh, uh, an entirely different matter isn't it and uh, um, uh, so of course we um, you know some folks can't work for for money and uh, and there are times and seasons in life when it's uh, uh, maybe just in uh, in in as you know as we get older and older and so on it's more difficult to do that of course of course we recognize that but jb phillips here talked about uh, in his translation honorable independence for mind your own business and the main thing here is just simply how we use our days how we use our days is it in idle busybodiness if that's a word. Um, is it that kind of thing? Is it the kind of life where there's all input but no output? Or do we, even in well into our 90s, for instance, still seek to serve and help others in whatever way we can? Still seek to love and help other people in whatever way we can? I know so many of us do. And it's wonderful. And it's lovely to hear about it. Um, when Paul talks here, um, he says it, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Um, there was a bit of a Greek thing going on. Greek culture despised manual work. Uh, if you were there in Athens, it would be all about ideas. It would be all about using your mind to work. They would have, they had a real respect for lawyers and, and so on, who would do, which is much more a cerebral thing. And they would actually have a, they would have despised manual work, which is a bit daft when you think Jesus was a carpenter. And Paul was a tent maker. Manual work, sewing leather, as he made tents in the evenings and late into the night, probably, to make ends meet. But he's also saying, here, look, don't depend on the state where you don't need to. Of course, some folks need to. And that's right. That's what we have a, a welfare state for and so on. Um, uh, but Christians should never depend on the benefit system if we don't need to. And we could work. And then there's, of course, the thing about what do we do with our days? Even in retirement, how are we going to use our time? How are we going to serve others? How are we going to have an output from our lives to seek and to serve the Lord and to serve and love one another? Great opportunities. And of course, they will change over time, won't they? We'll be able to do it very differently if we're 10, and we should be helping our children to see how they can do this as well, than we would be if we're approaching 100, for instance. One of our lovely 8 o'clockers is 98 still serving others isn't that good news so of course it, it will look different and we need to work out what it is the principle is we want to live unselfishly we want to have an output 
as well as an input into our lives. And then just finally to say this, it's for the reputation of the church. So it says in verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Now this is especially the reputation of a local church among those who don't come. So how would you like BH to be known? What would you like those who don't come to say about it to one another? To say about us to one another? Here's the thing. We can influence what folks who have never set foot inside this building say about us to one another. By our daily life. By our love for each other. There were two friends meeting one day for coffee. They weren't Christians, but they got talking about their local church uh, and a mutual friend who'd lost a husband. And both these two had been to the funeral. And they said the funeral, which was about three months before, had been uh, been great. It was meaningful. It was personal. Um, it talked about eternity. And at times it was uh, quite a few smiles and a few chuckles as well in the service. It was really good, they said. And, but one of them then said over their coffee, they said, yeah, but you know the thing that most stands out to me is how that church cares, not just uh, now, but they've been, I mean, not just then, but they're still doing it now. And they care for the whole family. When they're still providing meals four times a week, they've all been invited to other people's homes every Sunday for the last three months and there's no sign of that stopping and someone in the church has been doing the garden and someone else has organized day trips to places for the children they are an amazingly loving church do you want to be like that? do we want to be like that? a place online within the building known for our unselfishness A church life marked by sacrificial living for others. And of course we want to live that way because Jesus lived that way. And we want to live that kind of way and that kind of life out in the open. So we're not ashamed of being loving and helping other people. I mean, as Paul writes, he expects others to find out about what the Thessalonian church is doing. How they're living. So it's no ghettos. It's no, we're not a monastery. We're living our life and our love. We're living that out for others to see. Um, And we will not be deliberately dependent, the end of verse 12. We will not be deliberately dependent on anybody. And we will seek to live an unselfish life. Yes, of course, there are times in life where we will be dependent on people. And we will get more dependent as we get older. Yes, of course, we know that. But we must have an output as well as an input into our lives. That's the way of loving for one another. That is the way the gospel is made known here at this church, Bishop Pennington Church, Hove. Let's love others not yourself let's pray together Father just a little passage there's an awful lot of things that we and more things that we could be saying we pray Lord please help us as your people to think less of ourselves to think more of others to pray for one another and to serve and to love one another Um, and we pray Lord you would help us Uh, to do that, to put that into practice and to, as Paul says here, 
as we already are. Please, Lord, help us to do that more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.